Hey everyone, and welcome back to the 25th episode of the Future Footy Podcast. My name is Christian, guys, and it's hard to believe that only a couple months ago this started off as just an idea on a Snapchat group chat, but now we are 25 episodes deep onto the FFP, the Future Footy Podcast, and it's been quite the journey, so I'm glad to say it's been accompanied by some really good friends, and Aldo, Chris, and Saul, three co-hosts for the podcast. So, Aldo, how you doing, man, and how do you feel about this milestone 25th episode? Oh, man, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, just like you, it's, it's hard to believe that after, you know, a couple of months, uh, very fun weeks, we're already here, 25th. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the silver anniversary. So I like it. Chris, what about you, man? What does this 25th episode mean to you and how has the week and everything else been treating you so far? Yeah, man, uh, just back in school, back at work, the usual, but excited to be on the 25th episode and it's been it's been quite a long journey but we'll we'll keep going maybe we'll hit 50 soon enough yeah man 25 episodes is 25 weeks roughly about what four to five months so yeah it's been challenging finding you know consistent day where all of us can meet virtually and get this podcast together but we've been consistent man and i'm proud of us and i'm you know just happy to be along with the ride. Uh, Soul, how are you doing, man? Do you agree with all everything that we've been saying? Uh, yeah, I'm doing good. But, uh, yeah, as you said, you know, it's been fun. You know, getting to meet up with the homies once a week just to talk football. And, you know, uh, well, not necessarily football. I mean, I know we meet before and we just talk about life in general. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just fun, you know, getting to talk with the homies once a week, catching up, seeing what everyone's up to. And yeah, I've enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Glad to hear that we're all on the same page. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah, I know a couple weeks ago I promised on the pod that 25th episode would be very new and exciting with a bunch of other content coming out. But sadly, we had to delay it. Uh, you know, we all been busy with school and work, and et cetera. So, but I promise, guys, that we will have a lot of more exciting content coming out soon. So stay tuned for that. You know, definitely don't think that we've forgotten about it. But Biggest takeaways, guys, is what we normally kick off the podcast with, but as the four of us were discussing before we started recording, not a lot to talk about, and then what we would mention in our biggest takeaways, we would just mention later on in the show, so don't want to be redundant there, so we'll just kick it off in the Premier League, you know, the premier competition of Europe, at least at club competitions, so yeah, that's where we're going to start off, guys. Um, I have my own notes, but as always, I'll just throw it out to the band, uh, what matches or results or players, etc. do you guys want to kick it off with? I think the Premier League was super slow this weekend. There was like no big matches. Yeah, it's Chris son. No big match. I mean, there was a couple of good matches, you know, Leicester versus yeah, West, West Ham. Ham. <clears throat> yeah, West Ham tying that game up in the, what was it, 92nd minute around there? Yeah, yeah something yeah. You know, Leicester just keep dropping points when they shouldn't be. Do you all think... Um... Brendan Rodgers should be worried. Do you think Brendan Rodgers should be on the hot seat right now? Uh, it depends. In my what opinion. I mean, it depends if Leicester want to be chasing top four and or if they're comfortable being fifth and sixth. Because I think Brendan Rodgers is the perfect man to be at that fifth and sixth position. But it depends on their ambition. Do they want someone to push him on for Champions League? If so, then Brendan Rodgers is not the man for the job. But I think they're doing all right with 
what they have. I think their squad is strong. Their tactics are fine. I think they're good at what what they do. I mean, I would I would imagine that Leicester is wanting to get to that stage of the Champions League. You know, they were so close um, last season, and I think even the season before that. So, do you think something's changed now, or or Rogers just not doing the job? Because I'm sure I'm sure they're they're hungry for it. Well, just in my opinion, I think this season he's been unlucky with injuries that they've had. I mean, uh, in preseason, what's his name, uh, Wesley Fofana, uh, they're arguably their best center back. You know, he got injured. He's out for quite a while, and I think he's just been unlucky with uh, injuries this season. He's never really had a full, healthy squad. But, um, I mean, as you said, you know, the last two seasons, they were really close to qualifying for champions. I think uh, last season, uh, they blew it, like, on the last day, I think. And, the, well, I think they needed a win, and then they would have uh, got Champions League, and they ended up losing to Tottenham. Yeah, they did. I remember that. I remember that now that I think about it. But uh, in my opinion, what I was thinking is that this was his season. You know, if he didn't qualify for Champions League, then I feel like um, he would have got did the best he could have, and I would have thought it's time for him to go. But this season, he's been unlucky with a lot of injuries, and in my opinion, he should be given another season, and then if he can't do it in that season, then I think it's time for him to go. I mean, from what I've read, the club's ambitions are to qualify for Champions League uh, consistently. So if Brendan Rodgers isn't doing that, then I think it's time for him to go. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Pochettino at Spurs during his final few months there. It felt like that was as far as he could take the club. He he took him to the Champions League final, but it, it felt like that was it, and he didn't have any more to give that team. And I feel like it's the same thing here. Does Brendan Rodgers have any more to offer for that for that Leicester squad? Or do they need to move on kind of like they need to move on with Jamie Vardy soon? And, uh, yeah, is Brendan Rodgers the right man? I think it depends uh, if they're happy with where they're at or if they really do have the ambition to push for top four. But it does feel like it's the end of the line for Rodgers here. I think I read a report the other day or an article that said that Brendan Rodgers supposedly asked for um, uh, a hundred million transfer budget, Damn. and that Lester said no, and that supposedly he got really mad and walked out. But, uh, another thing that's been rumored that Chris, I don't know if he'd like it, but supposedly after Pep was going to leave, after Pep leaves Man City, he was the one that's rumored to be his uh, successor. So take over at Man City, but who knows about that, how true those rumors are. I hope they're not true because we've seen Brendan Rodgers at a big club. We've seen him at Liverpool, and he can't handle that. I think he's good at that Leicester side at a top six, top eight Premier League level. He's good at that at those type of teams, but he hasn't shown that he has what it takes to manage a top four Champions League club. So I know you guys said that the, it was kind of like a slow week over in the Premier League, but there's actually quite a few things I want to hit on really quick. Uh, first of all, I want to ask all of you guys, do you guys know what the hell Ralph Hasenhutl has been feeding his Southampton players? Because they're 
unbeaten in the last three results. I mean, obviously they drew against Man Manchester United this past weekend. Before that, they picked up a win in the FA Cup, and then the week before that, they picked up a draw against Man City. So, yeah, did Southampton are on the up? I mean, are we surprised by this at all, or is it just Ralph Hasenholto like doing what he does best against the top four or six sides in the Premier League? Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head right there. I think Hasenhol always does well against those top big teams, you could say. And uh, yeah, his his players always go out there and they always 100% whenever they play these big sides like Man City, we always have problems with them. Um, but yeah, it seems like the players really like playing for him. And maybe we'll see him in a bigger club later. I don't know. He He seems like a good manager well he did say that after his contract runs out with Southampton that he was considering retiring so uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if we'd get him at a bigger at a bigger club but I do agree I do think he is a good manager and it would be interesting to see what he could do at a you know a club that could provide a more financial backing but who knows if we're ever going to see that Another point I wanted to hit on really quick is Donny van de Beek. Not sure if you guys saw his full debut in an Everton shirt. And where he started the, in the game actually surprised a lot of people in the heart of a midfield too, alongside, I think it was either Allen or um, Decore. Yeah. yeah, Allen, right? Yeah, I think it was Allen. Yeah. And uh, I want to direct this a little bit towards Aldo because I think his performance in this match just highlights everything that this man still can do. I mean... I have some stats here I can just read off very quickly. Um, first of all, you know him starting a midfield pivot with the two. Some people would say that doesn't really suit his strong suits, but listen to this. Uh, press the ball 30 times, five tackles, and 11 interceptions. So that alone right there is uh, outstanding defensive output. And then on the attacking output, 92% pass accuracy, and that was the second highest in the match out of both teams. Created two-shot creation actions and carried the ball up the field 45 times. So, yeah. Donny van de Beek, this is exactly the Donny van de Beek that I remember at the Ajax squad at his peak, you know, helping on the defense and the attack and just being a menace in the midfield all over the pitch. So, you know, I mean, it's you if you're a Man United fan right now, you must be hard-pressed thinking that you could have this player, and especially when you need this kind of player right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to see that he's playing. Yeah, sorry, dude. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy to see that Donny's playing. You know, ever since, you know, that wonderful Ajax run, and then even before that, because, you know, United played Ajax in the Europa League final back in 2017. Um, you just saw that that guy was pure talent. You know, there was – the way to his game is is so simple but so effective. It's insane. Um and, you know, what could have been, I really hope that he comes back and, and decides to still stay after his loan spell with Everton. Um, I just really hope we get a manager that can really use him, you know, that knows how to use him. Because I would prefer Van Der Beek over Pogba any day of the week right now. I think a lot of people highlight Van de Beek as a more central attacking midfield position, you know, that classic that classic cam. I mean, and arguably, yeah, that's when Ajax was at their peak, when they had De Ligt and De Young and Neres and all these good players. But even a couple seasons after that, I remember him playing in the midfield pivot with a two with, I don't think it was Alvarez at the time. I think it was uh, Davy Blinn, but 
Uh, they had someone else in the hole in the cam position, and he did very well there too, and that's eventually when Man United swooped him up. But yeah, a player that's good going forward and back on the defense, so hopefully we can see more of him in the Premier League. Um, another question I have for all of you guys, a potential candidate for Fraud of the Week. I'm throwing Antonio Conte's name in the hat because uh, Spurs, disappointing loss, if you ask me, to Wolves. I mean, it was nice to see Raul Jimenez score a goal, and whew, what a goal it was, but... No, it's kind of, uh, what, two or three games on the bounce now without a win. And I don't know, are questions arising over at the Hotspur Stadium about Conte? No. I mean, I told you guys, I, I told you, I called it that Wolves was, was going to win. You know, it, it might be Antonio Conte, great, but it's still Spurs. Yeah. Spurs are always going to Spurs. Yeah. Uh, he said it himself. He's just like, this squad isn't good enough. And, you know, I think even, uh, what was it? I think it was yesterday or earlier today, he said that the squad actually got weaker in the winter transfer window instead of getting stronger. And he wasn't too happy about that. So um, I think if he isn't financially backed in, in this upcoming transfer window, I think he's leaving. He's, as we all know, you know, if he doesn't get his way, he's not afraid to walk out. And then second to last point I want to hit on is uh, Newcastle, also playing a bit of a Southampton, undefeated in the last three in the Premier League. Um, I think it's funny, Chris, because I remember a couple years ago, you mentioned to me that the only reason why Kieran Trippier gets called up to the England squad so consistently is because he scored that one free kick goal in the World Cup. And ever since then, they've just been calling him up for uh, set pieces. But... uh Hey, he proved it again this weekend why he can, uh, you know, what he's able to do from this dead ball specialist. So, I mean, it was nice to see him get a goal and nice to see Newcastle get another win. But, yeah, I think that's that's the first thing I thought of when I when I saw that result, Chris, was the fact that you highlighted that all those years ago. I mean, yeah, he's always been pretty nice at those set pieces. But it, it does seem like he's living off the glory from that World Cup goal. Yeah. I mean, it was like Sergio goal. Roberto. <laughs> his goal against PSG. And then very last point I want to touch on in the Premier League, guys, is the fact that Liverpool, I think they're still there, you know, with uh, a shot at catching up with Man City for the title race because as it stands right now, they're only six points behind them and that's not, you know, an, an impossible mountain to climb. But I also want to give Liverpool props because uh, when we first started off the podcast, I was uh, saying that during this time period where they lose Salah, Mane, Keita to the AFCON, um, they would struggle, and then we would see teams like United, uh, City, and Chelsea go ahead of them, but they did the exact opposite. So actually, right here it says uh, Liverpool during the AFCON when they had those three players out, they were they advanced to the third and fourth round of the FA Cup, they beat Arsenal in the EFL Cup, and they got 12 out of 12 points in the Premier League without all their African stars. Meanwhile, City picked up four out of six points in that time without... Mars and that's even with Mars returning early. So, yeah, I mean, I I retract everything I said, and yeah, Liverpool just proves how much stuff they actually have. And granted, they did sign Luis Diaz and Diego Jota did come back at the right time, but no, I mean they're right back there, and I wouldn't put it far past them for a late title push in the later stages of the season. Yeah, I mean, I gotta give props to Liverpool uh, with that. Um, if you guys recall couple episodes back uh we were we were actually talking about 
I think the, I think the question at that time was if um, if Premier League clubs should not allow their their African players to go to Afcon. And and I remember saying where that for Liverpool for Liverpool to show that hey like this this is what we got for sure was to let Salah and Mane go and and you know and figure out from there you know because that's where those great teams come from from figuring ways out without your star players so I got I got to give him credit to that. Yeah. Do you guys believe Klopp when he says the title race is over? Yeah, because he's a fraud. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's just, I think they're just playing mind games with each other. I mean, I mean, Pep keeps on saying Liverpool's the best team and the only team that could beat, and that they could beat City, and that they're only six points behind, even though they have a game in hand, and against Leeds. I mean, which they should win. It would be honest, but you know, he's just trying to put that extra pressure by saying, oh, they're only six points behind, practically saying they already beat Leeds. So I think they're just playing mind games with each other. Yeah, it'll definitely be an interesting finish to the Premier League season, which is going to wrap up here shortly. Only a couple more months, uh, two months and a half, and then we'll we'll kind our champions. So definitely stay on the lookout for England, see what happens there. Um, All right, La Liga. So... I mean, this weekend was kind of disappointing for the big teams. Uh, it saw Real Madrid and Barca drop points. Meanwhile, Sevilla, Betis, and Atletico all picked up points. Um, that is the weekend because Atletico did loss or lose midweek. But yeah, uh, the race is on. Also, and uh, I'm sorry, the race is also on in Spain because Sevilla are only six points behind leaders Real Madrid. Um, so yeah, We're that's only pre- four points behind. Oh shoot, is it? Yeah, only four points behind now. And I think they have a game in hand too. No, they, uh, they don't play the same amount. Yeah. But yeah, the race is on there. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention about that Real Madrid uh, tie against Villarreal was uh, Gareth Bale actually starting up top as a number nine. Um, actually played pretty well from what I heard. I didn't see any of the highlights or watch the game, but everything I saw on Twitter and uh, reaction shots was all saying Bale was playing pretty well. And if Benzema isn't fit to play champions midweek, then he should be, or he should get the nod over Jovic and against PSG. And yeah, he actually did come on in the second half uh, to replace Benzema. So yeah, maybe he does have a feature there. Real Madrid is in number nine, back up to Benzema. And then uh, once again, Luke de Jong saves Barca in the dying moments. And again, I got to retract my statements from earlier in the podcast because I remember when we first signed him, I was saying how much of a bad signing this was. But Luke de Jong has actually come up pretty clutch for Barcelona on a few occasions. Um, he got the winning goal against Mallorca, uh, the drawing goal and this match against Espanyol, and he got the match drawing goal against Levante early on in the season. So without De Young, Barca would have three fewer points right now than they actually do. So maybe there was some value having that transfer made. So yeah, good on you, De Young. Yeah, I said the same thing too. I even think I called him Luke Ding Dong. So I do have to apologize. I mean, I doubt he listens, but I do take my words back because he has stepped up, especially under Xavi. You know, it's it's weird. How Coleman was the one he that brought him in, but it's been under Xavi, the one who he shined the most. So, yeah. And, Xavi always says, you know, know, the players that do the best in practice are the ones that get the start and the ones that come up big in moments. And I think De Young is actually one of the players that's putting the hardest work. Yeah, um, but that Barca Espanol game, do that. It was a bit like today's game. Uh, Barca should have won it, but 
they didn't. And, you know, PK ended up getting a red card. So that's PK and Danny Alves out for our next game versus Valencia. So it's interest, it'll be interesting to see how our defense is, especially if Ronald Araujo doesn't come back from injury. Right now, the only four sure starters are uh, Alba on that left back side and then our center backs. Who knows who it'll be because Umtiti and Longley are out and who knows who's going to be at the center back or <laughs> see what um, Xavi comes up with. Now, yeah, let's, let's head on to Italy, guys. Yeah. So similar story over in Serie A, you know, very wide open race uh, this past weekend. Enter and Napoli drop points against each other. So that opened up the door for AC Milan to jump to first in the table. I'll be with Inter having one game in hand, I believe. Yeah, they have 24 games. AC Milan have 25. But no, Napoli currently sit first for the moment. So I'm sorry, not Napoli. AC Milan. So that's nice to see. And then another noticeable result, Juve and Atalanta drop points against each other. And actually, Atalanta have one game in hand over Juventus, which if they do win, they can leapfrog them into fourth. So yeah, City A is not only the title race, but the top four race is also very, very interesting. So definitely look out for that as well. I've said it I think throughout the whole duration of this podcast that Serie A is my favorite, most entertaining league to watch this season. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope Juventus doesn't make it a Champions League. I don't know why. I just I want to see them fail. Nothing against them, honestly. I just want to see them fail. I don't know why. What do you mean nothing against them? You like legit? There's nothing you... against them. I just I don't want to see them make it for some reason. Like I don't hate the club or nothing. I just. I guess it's just that they've been so successful like over the past few years that, you know, I just want to see them downfall. I, mean, I bet you it's how some people feel about Barca. It's like, well, they've been so successful. And some people are enjoying their downfall. So, And some people have been making I mean, I can't really, so. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm not enjoying their downfall. I've always said, I said, I've always said it, um, that I hate to see good teams struggle that aren't living up to their potential. And, that's Man United. I said that. You go back and podcast. I always said that. I was like, I hate to see teams that I know could do better, but they aren't doing better. And, you know, Juventus, at the moment, you know, I'm surprised. we got to give uh, Allegri credit. I mean, I'm, I was before the season, I was like, I don't think. I was like, I think they'll be fighting for mid-table or something like that. And look at them in fifth place. I mean, given they did start off really, really bad, but, you know, they've gained form and they're in the top four now. But... I still don't think they're going to retain their title, but if they do, then what, what, what a season. What a season it'll be for them. But yeah, I mean, Atalanta should have honestly won that game. Did you guys see the goal by Ruslan Malinowski? Dude, he scored oh, beauty. A that was a beauty. The, the effect he put on the ball was not beautiful. It's just a beautiful goal. And then Germany, uh, contrary to all these other leagues we're talking about, where the title race is very much not in effect. Bayern are still running away with the league, despite them surprisingly losing to, uh, how do you pronounce this team? Bochum? Yeah, I think that's how you say it, Bochum. Yeah, a team with the, who they beat actually 7-0 earlier in the season in September came back and beat them, what, 4-2 this, this past weekend? So kind of surprising there, but the one narrative that I definitely picked up from that game was the fact where Lewandowski, uh, Leroy Sané, Kingsley Komen, Gnabry, and Thomas Muller all starting at the field at the same time. I think it's a bit overkill. I mean, we saw this a little bit at Liverpool when they had Coutinho, Salah, Mane, Firmino. It was super rare that we saw all these players on the field at the same time. And even at Barcelona with 
Dembele, Suarez, Messi, and Coutinho, you know, all these attacking players on the field at the same time, it just doesn't bode well for his side. And yeah, I think Bochum exposed them, and there were some really beautiful goals in this game as well, coming from that side. But yeah, uh, upset to Bayern doesn't really matter much with uh, with them still being, I think, six, maybe seven points ahead of second place Borussia Dortmund. But yeah, um, it's always nice to see a big team like Bayern lose. Yeah, I uh, totally underestimated Bochum. Thought they were going to get rolled over by Bayern, but they surprised everyone, and it's always good to see those underdogs winning against the big clubs. Yeah. And another result, just very quickly, Christopher Nkuku picked up another goal in his matchup against uh, for RB Leipzig this weekend, so that brings his tally to 11 this season for the Bundesliga. That is 11 goals and 7 assists. And I think if he just keeps going at this rate, he's definitely going to be picked up by a bigger team during the summer. You know, I can already see it. This man is this man is something special. And I really want to see him, you know, competing for a championship somewhere in a different league. So I hope he gets a big move. It's, I think it's what he deserves. Yeah, definitely. Um, not, not to be a advice, but I did read somewhere that there was like maybe three clubs um, already trying to get a signature. United was one of them. Can't remember the other two, but but yeah, he's definitely getting a lot of interest uh, and momentum, which is really, really good. Now I only have one bullet point, and that's Mbappe coming up clutch once again for PSG. And uh, I mean, yeah, I mean nothing else to say really. I think that kind of will segue nice into the Champions League, unless one of you guys wants has anything else to say about Liga or Bundesliga. All right, y'all. So. Uh, Champions League is officially back after two months away, but it's finally back on our screens and we finally get to see uh, big matchups between Europe's top dogs like Real Madrid and PSG. I mean, is that the game where you guys want to start? Yeah. Hell yeah, brother. All right. So so I'll throw this out to you, man, because after this game, I saw a lot of people giving Messi crap for having a mediocre to average game. Uh, what would you say in response to those people? Because I think the man played really well on the day. I mean, I think it's set off, and I think Messi's, uh, what's that saying? It's like, um, not everything shows up in the stat sheet. No, not that. It's like he's guilty of his own greatness, I think. It's like he's been great so long that when he has games like this, you know, it's like people aren't used to it, and they call it a bad game. But in all honesty, I, I didn't think it was a bad game, honestly, like, just seeing some of the comments, honestly, just makes me think people don't watch the games at all and just goes off of what the media tells them. Because, I mean, I thought he had a good game. I mean, not I wouldn't say good game, but it was definitely not a mediocre or uh, poor performance, in my opinion. I mean, he did create a couple chances. And, you know, he, he was, like, involved. But, you know, he just he didn't score. He didn't appear on the stat sheet, as you said. But, in my opinion, he didn't have a bad game. Yeah. In my opinion, oh, I think this is the most... Six rating or seven rating? What? What would you give his rating? Six or seven? I'd probably give him like a 6.5, maybe. Maybe mm-hmm. pushing a seven, but not, not over a seven. Definitely not over a seven. I think after you have to... I think after you hear what I have to say, so you might change your opinion because... I think this is the most cohesive PSG we've seen in a while. You know, um, even with Neymar coming back into the second half late on, I think this was exactly what Pochettino wants his side to play. And I think it just worked out really well. So 
going back to Messi a little bit, I mean, I have some stats here. The man had 97, no, 95 touches on the day, seven shots, one on target. And obviously that's a bit of skewed because of the penalty miss, but um, seven shot creating actions in 83% pass accuracy, uh, which was the third highest on the field. Um, anti-progressions forward, second highest only to Kylian Mbappe and four successful dribbles, uh, joint highest with Mbappe on the day and had an XG or expected goals for those of you that don't know what that is of 1.1. And again, that is a bit of skewed because of the penalty, but that's just a little bit of Messi's performance on the day. I saw him a lot, involved a lot more in the buildup. He lobbed that one ball over to Neymar very beautifully. I mean, kind of in an awkward angle, but nothing Neymar can do besides try and square it or chip it over Courtois, but just the way he was able to get out of his feet and play it forward into his path, I thought was brilliant. And then going back to the midfield, I think this midfield three of Verratti, Paredes, and Danilo on paper looks very defensive, but I think it worked on the night because it gives those three forwards the freedom to roam forward and interact with one another. Um, just to highlight some of them, Marco Verratti, I think, was the best player on the field on the night. He had a game-high 115 touches, uh, 32 pressures, uh, also game-high. Game high of 12 shot creating actions and a 93% pass accuracy. And that wasn't even the highest in the field. Danilo Pereira had a 96% pass accuracy and Paredes had a 94. So that midfield three getting involved a lot with the um, transition plays. And then the center backs as well. Kimbempe with a 93% and Marquinhos with a 94. So yeah, I think this was Pochettino football at its finest. You know, building from the back, progressing the ball forward, and then feeding it to the, to the attackers. So... I was actually very pleased watching this PSG side play. Well, I think part of that had to do with how Real Madrid set up. You know, I've uh, at all the times I've watched Real Madrid. Well, not all the times. I mean, I've seen them. They did it versus Barca last time. They set up more effectively, but you know, they were playing really defensive and then just hitting the team on the counter. But the problem was that they couldn't do that against PSG because you know they have Marquinhos and Kimpembe, and they also had Danilo Pereira dropping back, so they always had a back three there whenever the uh, ready for the counters and you know those guys unlike PK and like uh, others of the other Barca center backs that you know uh, these guys have more than enough pace to catch up to Vinicius uh, Benzema and Asensio so they had no problems dealing whenever they had a, when they try to counter them and I think Real Madrid just played into their hands I mean they didn't do nothing. I mean, they couldn't even pass the ball. Like, the first half, they just were in their own half. Like, most of the time, they couldn't even pass out. And it was just... It, it, it just didn't look like Real Madrid, if I'm being honest. I was surprised with how defensive they were. Oh. Yeah. And then Thibaut Courtois yeah. coming up clutch with six crucial saves. I mean, granted, some shots were easier to save than others, but I think just the fact that he was always there and so constant, that one... I don't know if it was a one-on-one, but that one early attempt that Mbappe had through on goal and Courtois came out and saved the ball, that was really impressive. So, yeah, and then obviously saving the penalty for Messi. So he kept Real Madrid in the game a lot for a lot of it. And then just going back to killing Mbappe, I was going to say this for my biggest takeaway, but we decided to scrap it. I think this man has a strong case for the best player in the world right now on current form because we saw it in Liga this past weekend and then Champions League again midweek. Uh, coming up clutch in the m- most crucial moments. And then just the way this man abused Danny Carvajal on the on the right-hand side was just absolutely vital. I mean, it, it gave me, it reminded me of Mbappe versus PK in the Champions League a couple seasons ago and Alfonso Davis versus Nelson Semedo in the Champions League as well. Just this man had Carvajal in his pocket the entire game and 
so frustrated when he came off, but no, I think Mbappe is definitely up there right now for uh, that conversation. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. I think he definitely wins it if PSG wins the Champions League this season. Shall we move on to the the beating that City gave out to Sporting? Because I thought this game would be a lot closer than it actually was. All right, so Man City beat Sporting over the week in the Champions League. And, uh, yeah, it was just a 5-0 route. Man City took the game by the neck, and they never let go. I think Sporting never really looked like they were going to score. I think the defense for Man City was solid. And, yeah, what do you guys think? I know Pep had a lot of praise for that sporting squad, but their defense was really not on it that day. Well, I think it went just as everyone expected when Man City drew sporting. Everyone just expected Man City to, you know, everyone was just like, oh, it's an easy draw for them. You know, they practically threw to the next round. And, yeah, I mean, they proved – why they're one of the favorites, you know, Raheem scored, Raheem Sterling scored that being of a goal. I mean, Bernardo Silva, I mean, Christian yeah. mentions Mbappe, but I think Bernardo Silva needs to be mentioned too as one of the best players in the world at the moment. I mean, he's just, he can play any position. He adapts very well everywhere, but so, yeah, I think he deserves to be in that conversation as well. I will admit that I saw, I think I saw a chink in Man City's armor when I saw John Stone starting his right back. But, I mean, that was no problem for them at all. And he looked just as threatening as, you know, a Joe Cancelo or a Kyle Walker going forward. So, yeah, Man City, man, they continue to evolve and adapt. And, yeah, I think sporting is just, there's no hope for them in the second leg, if I'm if I'm being completely honest. If you forfeit a match in the Champions League, <laughs> like if you forfeit the second leg, uh, second leg is, it, is it like in FIFA where they put it as 3-0? It's a 3-0. Yeah, it's 3-0. So you're telling me City can forfeit the second leg, rest all their players, and they'll still go through? I think so. I mean, UEFA might not like it or might make an exception to make them play. But... I mean, they don't have a valid excuse, honestly. I think, yeah, if you're talking hypothetically and they just, for some reason, didn't want to play or something, I think they could. I think you have to not have enough available players to forfeit. I don't think you can forfeit just because you want to. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes more sense. But still, that's crazy. You can still forfeit and and it's like, yeah, we still went through. Yeah. Damn. Okay. That just boggles my mind. So... Two more uh, results in the Champions League that, you know, we can quickly touch on. Uh, Bayern, uh, I would call it an upset, you know, the 1-1 draw against RB Salzburg. But once again, I allude to the fact that maybe it was a bit of overkill by Bayern, you know, deploying Lewandowski, Mueller, Sané, Gnabry, and Komen all in the field at the same time. And I think uh, Salzburg hit on the counter really well. And beautiful goal by the young striker. I mean, a lot of Americans were disappointed not to see Brendan Harrison score, but I mean, RB, Le- RB Salzburg, excuse me, a very promising young side, and I would love to see what they can do in the second leg. And then Inter uh, against Liverpool, I thought I had more hopes for this match. I saw I was able to catch a little bit of it, and from what I did see, Inter did look very threatening, but 
then when I checked on the match report, it was 2-0. Um, but yeah, I think Inter were a bit unlucky there. Um, and Liverpool, like I mentioned earlier, now that they do have all their African stars back, they're just back to full force. And yeah, who knows what the what, what damage they can do in the Champions League. Yeah, I think I saw a stat that said, you mentioned all those attacking plays starting for Bayern. I said that, I saw a stat that said Brendan Aronson, Aronson created five chances, which was the most out of anyone, which is surprising considering all that attacking prowess. Uh, uh, Salzburg, I mean, Bayern decided to go with. But, um, yeah, I mean, I did say it earlier in the season, or earlier in earlier podcast that I thought Salzburg was a team to watch for because when they played a Barca that preseason, I was I was a uh, really surprised by them and how good they were. You know, their pressing was really good. Um, all they were missing in that game versus Barca was finishing. If they would have taken all the chances they could have, I think it would have been like 5-1 of Salisbury. Yeah, impressive, you know. I mean, Neuer wasn't playing, you right. Ulreich was playing, so that might have affected them. But, uh, yeah, I just think Salisbury is one of these teams to watch. And I guess we'll see how the second leg goes. So before we move on from the Champions League, I just do quickly want to mention something that we mentioned in our second podcast, uh, Champions League favorites. The fact that the away goal rule is still no longer in effect in the knockout stage. So uh, despite City, Bayern, and Liverpool all scoring goals away from home, uh, the away goal rule will no longer be in effect when they do return home. So yeah, Sporting will have to win 6-0 in order to advance <laughs> in the in regular time against Man City. Yeah, we'll, we'll all see. We all know how that's going to go. Man City's going to forfeit, bro. <laughs> all right, so should we move on to the most prestigious competition in Europe? The Europa Conference League. No, we're not mentioning the Conference League. But yeah, it was, <laughs> I meant the Europa League. Some pretty good matchups, eh? I'll be honest, I only watch Barca. And only <laughs> because it's Barca. Otherwise, I wouldn't be watching Europa League. I I'm going to say... Today, uh, like just from the matches, uh, or yesterday and today, just from the matches of Europa and Champions League, those were good days for football. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of good matches for sure. I mean, today it was Barca Napoli and Borussia against Rangers, where Rangers won four two. That's insane. That's awesome. So I mean, a lot of good matches out there. Dude, no yeah. one knows what's going on with Dortmund. They look good a game, a couple games, and then they just look bad. It's like there was an interesting quote by Homos. Let me see if I could find it real quick. Well, so we'll find that. I'll just spew off the other results that happened in the Europa League before we get to the Barca Napoli game because I think so. And I have a lot to say about that. But Real Betis uh, beats Zenit in a pretty entertaining match, three two, where Andres Guardado actually got a pretty impressive goal, nice little chip over the keeper. So shout out to him. Still want you to retire from the national team soon, but you're doing good over Real Betis. Um, Sociedad and RB Leipzig played out a really impressive uh, draw, 2-2 there. Porto, surprisingly in my opinion, despite losing Tecatito Corona and um, Luis Diaz over the winter, they still were able to beat Lazio 2-1. Atalanta beat Olympiacos 2-1. And Sevilla getting a nice 3-1 victory over Dynamo Zyberg. Uh, and Anthony Martial actually get on the score sheet, so that's always nice to see. Yeah, so I found the quote. Um, so uh, it doesn't say where, which one's from there, but they're practically the same quote. It's when the Dortmund conceded five goals against Leverkusen. 
Um, he said we're playing awful, a lot of nonsensical football, a lot of illogical football, making our opponents so strong. And then versus the loss against the uh, Rangers, he said our football is, is, too, is also too complicated. We play this way. We'll sometimes win and sometimes lose, but we won't have it. We won't have success. So, you know, it, it kind of seems like the players, to me at least, it seems like the players don't know what the coach wants or the coach is overcomplicating simple things, maybe over, overthinking it like Pep often does, you know, in big matches, that bald fraud. Um, I'm not he's not a fraud. Uh, but, yeah, it's just interesting to hear that from Homos. He's just salty. He's gonna replaced by Sula next season. I think it's gonna be a partnership of Sula and Hummels. I mean, Hummels still has it. He's still really sound defensively. He's like Piquet. His pace. Yeah, he's like Piquet and Moreno. Just defensively solid in the head and all around, except for the defensive IQ. Yeah. No, but on to the main event of the Europa League. It is that Barcelona versus Napoli game. I mean, we mentioned a bit earlier, similar to the. Barca Espanol game. I would say very disappointing because I was able to catch the last ten minutes of this match and I saw four clear cut opportunities for Barca to score the goal the go ahead goal and they just never did. Uh the shot never came and the ball never ended up in the back of the net. But yeah, Barca really need to work on their finishing. Um once again, Luke de Young, uh very impressive. He for some reason pulled out a lot of acrobatics recently, you know, he tried to pull off the bicycle kick once again in this match. Uh had a header late on that was directed right at the goalkeeper, couldn't direct it anywhere else. And Ferran Torres, uh, I think I was reading you the stat earlier, Saul had nine shots and seven on target in this match, and two at the very end there, one from a very beautiful build-up play involving Dembele, Aubameyang, Pedri, laid it off via the back heel to Ferran just to sky it. And yeah, very disappointing, man. Uh, what did you make of the game? Yeah, as you said, you know, um, disappointed. You know, I'm kind of getting tired of this. It's been... Barca story for the past few games, dude. I mean, after every match we hear it, it's like, oh, we should have won this game. We should have won this game. It's getting kind of tiring, you know? It's like, when are we going to get to the point where it's like, oh, we won the game and we deserve to win it instead of being like, we should have won it. But Yeah, I was really disappointed for Ron because we bought him for $55 million. I mean, I understand he's not in form yet. You know, I think this is third or fourth game back from injury. And, you know, he's not in form yet. He's still trying to get himself in shape and stuff. But, yeah, just disappointed because, as you said, a lot of chances where, at minimum, he should have gotten the shot on target but just skied it. And, yeah, just disappointing, man, because for City and for Spain, he was always so clinical. So when we bought him, I was like, it's it's what we need, someone that's clinical. And it was just wasteful. I mean, the commentator was even, I think, getting tired of him. The one I was listening to, like, he missed his first chance. He's like, oh, you got to at least be getting that on target. But he'll have another one. And then he had another chance. He skied it again. And the commentator's like, all right, that's two. And then by the time it came to his last shot, I think the one where Pedri backheeled it to him. And he skied it. He's like, ah, oh. he's like, he's like, give on the coach. He's like, I'm telling him he's coming in for a shooting session tomorrow. He's like, that can't, he's like, that can't be happening. He's like, he's like, you got to at least be hitting the target. And. Yeah, man. He, I agree with the, the commentator. You at least have to be hitting the target, man. It's, yep. It's, it's just, uh, you know, it's disappointing. Just frustrating. So, that. to correct myself for that stat that I read earlier, it was actually 
nine total shots by Ferran Torres and only was able to get one of those on target. So again, you know, just skying all of his opportunities and not being clinical like he was for City and Spain mm-hmm. so many times. And that was his penalty, no? The one on target. The one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but uh, another interesting narrative I think is worthy to talk about in this match is the fact where I think you and I got what we wanted. So uh, Nobusquets, he started off on the bench, gave the captaincy to Gerard Pique, and we saw a midfield of uh, Frankie de Young, Pedri, and Nico Gonzalez, um, none of which really stood out as the Busquets-type role player, you know, the classic number six. Um, but I don't think they really needed to do that on the day. I think midfield, I think their job was just to flow the ball through midfield and get it to the attackers because that's where a lot of the play was for Barca in the front three. I mean, but yeah, did any of the three of those stick out to you as the potential uh, Busquets replacement? I don't know. I don't really think... If we're looking for someone with like that's going to be a Busquets replacement, I don't think we're going to ever find him. I think we just need to evolve that role. I mean, Frankie the John can play there, but he's not going to play like Busquets plays. You know, he's he's more of like a progressive midfielder. He can drop deep, defend, but he gets the ball. He'll carry it forward as where Busquets. Like, he's always very well positioned and knows what class he's going to play next to get us out of pressure and stuff. But yeah, I don't think we're ever going to, if we're, if we're looking for Busquets replacement, I don't think we're going to find him. I think we've been lucky to have him for the past, the past, was it like 10 years around there? So, but I mean, I mean, people have said from coaches from La Masia, uh, Barca's Youth Academy, have always said that they thought Nico Gonzalez could replace uh, Busquets. He could play that Busquets role. Uh, there's also another guy that I'd like to hear get uh, that I want to see get a chance. His name's Andro Orellana. He's a he's currently on the B team, but for the longest time, he was always regarded as the next uh, Busquets replacement. He had the same profile, you know. He could he was very well positioned. He can make the passes and all that stuff. But uh, unfortunately, he got he. Um, got hit with injuries and it really slowed down his progress so it's a shame but that's someone I'd like to see playing that Busquets role because I've always heard so much positive things about him and how he he was the ideal Busquets replacement but yeah I mean I don't think we're gonna ever have another Busquets I think it's just gonna be someone that can play that position but someone with a different profile but yeah I mean I thought Frankie the Young did well I mean he did well progressing the ball forward I thought, I mean, Nico to me wasn't playing, he wasn't playing like as a CDM, he was playing more like box-to-box role, is what I thought, so it's hard to judge him off that. Yeah, I was just about to say, out of the three, I think Frankie de Young was the most impressive when it comes to defensive output. Um, Right here it says he had uh, three interceptions and two tackles one, compared to uh, Pedri actually having no defensive output and Nico only having one interception on the night, but... Yeah, I mean, we've seen him kind of similar to Donny van de Beek, and now that I remember, he and Donny van de Beek did play a lot in that midfield pivot, too, at uh, Ajax. So, yeah, they're both really good going forward and on the defensive end. But, yeah, I agree with you, man. I think if we just evolve that role and not try to evolve a player, that that's where Barca can find that solution. Uh, Saul already mentioned uh, Valencia and Barcelona. Tends to be a good game. Espanyol and Sevilla. And... Rob Betis, we'll see if they can continue their nice form against Mallorca. All right. So, yep, Serie it's coming in clutch. You know, Milan is in first place right now, Inter at second. 
Um, Milan is going against Salernitana, so it should be a nice and easy game for them. Um, but we've always seen the short, uh, you know, the smart clubs pull an upset. That could happen this weekend. Uh, we got Roma against Verona. Juventus against Torino. That should be a good one. Uh, Atalanta going against Fiorentina. Fiorentina has been struggling since Lahavus. La- is it Vlahovic? Yeah, right? Yeah. Vlahovic. Yeah. yeah, that guy. Jeez. He's been he's been doing pretty well at Juventus, actually, not going to lie. Um, Johan Vasquez Genoa is going against Venezia. Uh, hopefully, he continues to start. Um, you know, he's been doing all right. Genoa, overall, they're not doing the best. You know, they are in that relegation battle. Inter is going against Sao Salo. And we got Lazio against Udinese. Napoli against Cagliari. And Spezia versus Bologna. So, moving north from Italy, you know, in Germany in the Bundesliga, we know who's in first, in first place. Bayern Munich's at the top of the table. I think they're about six points clear from Dortmund at second place. But yeah, I think uh, the, the title's decided. But one thing that's interesting is fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh are all tied on 34 points. So I think the big race here is who gets that final Champions League position. Is it RB Leipzig, Hoffenheim, Freiburg, or Union Berlin? Uh, it's an exciting race. We'll see who gets there at the end. Coming up with the first match in the Bundesliga is tomorrow. Leverkusen versus Mainz. I think Leverkusen got what it takes. They're in third right now. They'll keep performing like they have been the past couple of weeks. Moving on to Saturday, we have Wolfsburg versus versus Hoffenheim. I think uh, I'm pretty surprised to see Wolfsburg not competing at all this season. They're down in 12. But we'll see if they can pull out a result. On Sunday, we got Bayern Munich against Greuther Fourth, which I think is another recently promoted side. Last week, they played Bochum, another recently promoted side, and I said they were going to roll them over, and I was wrong about that. But I can't see Bayern Munich losing two matches in a row against newly promoted sides. So I think they're going to they're gonna win this one quite comfortably. We also got Dortmund and Gladbach on Sunday and also RB Leipzig versus Hertha. So we'll see. But yeah, that that top four race is going to be exciting. I think it's going to go all the way to the last day. Right. And then lastly, we got the lead on. You know, um, I'll be honest, not a lot of matches here that would catch a, the casual fan. So attention. The um, big club, uh, we got Lens versus Lyon versus probably my game of the week in Lyon. You know, it's seventh versus eighth place, I believe. Yeah, Lyon's in seventh. Uh, Lens is in eighth, uh, one point behind them. Uh, then we got Nantes versus PSG, first versus ninth. And, you know, the other big clubs in action, Lille versus Mets. Uh, honestly, I think Lille should win that. I mean, Mets, I think, is in relegation area. Yeah, they're in 19th place. Um, then we got Marcel versus Clermont Foot. And, yeah, then we got Bordeaux versus Monaco. And, yeah, not not a lot of matches. Good matches in my in league on this week. 
And then obviously midweek next week, we also have the return of the champions in Europa League. So uh, I'll start off in the Europa League because I kind of like how they just kick off with the second leg immediately from the first leg. So we'll see the return fixtures of Napoli, Barca, Sociedad, Leipzig, Lazio, Porto, and so on. So that'd have to be a good one to watch. And then over in the champions, we get a bit of different results. So we get to see Chelsea versus Lille, Villarreal versus Juventus, Benfica versus Ajax, but probably the one that's going to draw the most attention and the most viewers will be that Atletico versus Man United draw. Two historically giant teams that are, you know, not doing so good right now in their respective leagues and they're going to clash. And All right, so very last segment and then we'll sign off on the pod for the week as the Premier League pick them. So by now you guys know the spiel. Uh, five results from the Premier League. Uh, guess all five scores correctly and you win a jackpot of 50 grand. So... First match on here, it is the return of Chelsea after being the newly crowned Club World Cup champions back in the Premier League, and they play Crystal Palace. So it is third versus 13th, and I think Chelsea are going to ride that wave of momentum they have from the Club World Cup, and it's going to be a, I'm going to say, 3-1 victory. I think Chelsea's going to win it, but I don't think 3-1. I think 2-1. I think this will be a, a closer game than people think. I mean, Chelsea wasn't really in my opinion, that impressive versus uh, in the Club World Cup against Palmeiras in that final. But I, still, I still do think they should win this one 2-1. So, yeah. I'm going to go with the Crystal Palace win. I think they've been unlucky this whole season, despite playing really well. I think Patrick Vieira really has a career as a manager, and I'm excited to see what he can do with this squad in the coming seasons. They're just so young and exciting. I'm going to give it to Crystal Palace 2-1. Yeah, that's a great shout by Chris there. But um, I think they are going to give Chelsea a run for their money. Uh, Patrick Vieira has definitely been doing a great job with that squad, with that young squad, you know, with Gallagher, um, you know, still getting the best out of Saha. But I think it's going to end up as a 2-2 draw. And then second match on here is Austin Villa, who've been a little bit disappointing in the past couple of weeks against Watford, but I see Steven Gerrard and his team get bouncing back and getting back on the win sheet. So I'm going to say it's going to be a 2-0 victory. No, I'm going to say 2-1. 2-1 to, to Austin Villa. Yeah, I, think, I do think it's going to be a Villa win. I think it's going to... I think Villa... I don't know. I just have a feeling Villa's going to score in, uh, quite a bit in this one. So I think Villa wins it 3-0 with this one. I'm going to agree with Christian there. That 2-1 scoreline seems pretty reasonable. They might get a clean sheet, but I think Watford has a goal in them. I think it's going to be 2-1. Yeah, I'm going to agree with uh, with the Chris's on this one. Uh, both of them said 2-1 for, uh, for Aston Villa. Uh, you can't really underestimate Watford. So anything can happen. It is going to be a tight game, but I'm still going to give this to Aston Villa. I'm going to actually retract my statement because I just looked up Watford's recent record and they haven't scored in the last four Premier League fixtures. You have to go all the way back to January 15th to the last time they scored a goal in the Premier League. So I'm just going to take the one off of their result. I'm going to say 2-0 to Villa. So after that is Liverpool versus Norwich. I mean, Norwich, we all know it's battling rele- relegation this season. And Liverpool, we talked about being very impressive in the Premier League and the Champions League, having Salah and Mane and Keita back from the AFCON. So I see nothing but a Liverpool win here. 
But I don't know. I think Norwich did upset them last season. So they could pull off an upset, but I'm still going to back Liverpool. I'm going to say 3 no. Yeah, I'm agree with him. I'm going to back Liverpool here. I shouldn't go with 4 no though. Because I just feel like uh, like Liverpool are going to be ruthless in this game. They're just going to score at will whenever they want. So, yeah, Liverpool 4 no. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys. I don't see anything other than a Liverpool result. Um, I think it's going to be a 3-0 win here for Klopp's men. Yeah, I agree with all you guys. It's, it's just Liverpool. Um, there's no question about it. They've, they've just been so dominant this season and, you know, seasons before that. So, it right now it's not if Liverpool win this match, it's when and how, uh, and by how much. So, um, I'm going to say 4-0 on this one for Liverpool. And then second to last match on here sees uh, the Southampton that I mentioned earlier on the podcast is unbeaten in their last three against Everton, who despite having an impressive performance by Donny van de Beek, is kind of hot and cold recently. You know, they'll show up one week and then not show up the next. So I think it's going to be another one of those weeks for Everton where they don't show up and Southampton actually continue their unbeaten run. So I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. I'm going to agree with you on the results. Well, on the that is going to be a tie, but I think it's going to be 2-2 instead of 1-1. I mean, I agree I agree with you that with Everton being hot and cold, but I think that's kind of why they got, you know, resources in the winter transfer window. I think that's why they kind of brought Van de Beek in. So I think with if Van de Beek, you know, starts again and, and he provides another great performance, um, I think Everton's going to get this in the bag 3-0. If, if then he starts, sorry, three one, not three zero. I don't know. This was a tough one to call. I think we were praising Southampton and uh, Hassan Hootl earlier, but this is a tough one. I think Lampard just got the job recently. I think all his players are, um, all his players know what he wants. Are trying to fit into the agenda that he's doing, trying to play how he wants to play. And I don't know. I, I think I see Everton succeeding here just because they did uh, invest in their squad during the winter transfer window, something that Southampton didn't really do. And, yeah, I think Everton are going to win here. The 2-1, I believe. Chris, you said that was probably the toughest one to call, but I would argue that this next and final result is the match of the week. Um, it is City versus Spurs, and I talked earlier about, you know, Conte uh, perhaps being our fraud of the week, but I don't know. I think against City, he can pull off a bit of an upset, so I'm going to go for a high-scoring affair, and I think it's going to be a draw. I'm going to go with a 2-2. I'm actually going to disagree with you. I think City is going to continue their hot streak. I uh, as Tottenham, as as much as they're improving, I don't, uh, I don't see them being fancy. If I'm being honest, um, I think the best that they can hope for is a tie. But I still think Man City wins this one. But I'm I'm gonna go three one Man City. Yeah, I think Man City wins this. I think uh, Spurs have beaten us or taken a few points from us in the past. And there's always some shoddy call that goes on. I think Spurs get really lucky. Um, 
But yeah, I think hopefully Man City get the luck this time, and um, I think they're gonna win this two nil. They might clean, they might keep a clean sheet. We'll see. Yeah, didn't Nuno, didn't Nuno pull off that masterclass earlier in the season, beating them one nil? <laughs> yeah, that was a Nuno masterclass. No, but even in that game, City sh- should have at least tied. They had plenty of chances. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but we always get the short end of the stick whenever we play them. Yeah, that is true. Um, I mean, I'm going to back you up this weekend. I just think Spurs don't got it. Not enough to beat City. The You know, they, they I think they're going to give them a little bit of a fight. But not too much. I think at the end, City's going to take the dub at 2-1. And that is it, y'all, for the Premier League Pick'em. So, as always, get your results into our league and to the overall league. And hopefully, fingers crossed, one of us can finally win a jackpot after, what is it, now three seasons of one of us trying to get it. But unsuccessful so far. Maybe this week things will change. And maybe this week we can see a bit of an upset on the table in our own miniature league. Uh, we mention all the time that... You know, one week can definitely change results. We can see fourth climb to first, and we saw that, I think, a couple weeks ago with Saul finally taking the first-place position. So, yeah, uh, a lot of stuff going on in the Premier League and our own little mini-league, but other results that I wanted to highlight in the Premier League um, really quick before we head off is Arsenal versus Brentford. You know, in the beginning of the season, the first match of the Premier League, we saw Brentford upset Arsenal. Uh, can they do that again? We'll see. And then Leeds versus Manchester United. Although he likes to say that every time these two teams play against each other, it is a high-scoring affair and anything can happen. And honestly, both teams are kind of a little bit shaky, a little bit spotty recently, so we'll see who who gets the win there. And then Wolves versus Leicester, two other teams that we highlighted a bit earlier on in the podcast. So, yeah, we'll see who wins there. All right, guys, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FutureFootyPod and uh, tune in next week for our, our 26th episode. Thank you guys for listening. Bye-bye. Adios. See you guys next week. Have a good one, guys. Take care.